Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Gund. Today, I have another special guest on the podcast, um, uh, Rick Burgund, who is married to my cousin, Charlotte Gund. Um, Rick also has ADHD, and um, he was just diagnosed recently in adulthood and has been um, working with elementary school teaching for a while, so I'm going to ask him a little bit about his early life and then, you know, what it was like with teaching and, um, and then, you know, into parenthood, uh, you know, marriage and parenthood and, uh, as well. So, uh, without further ado, welcome, Rick. Thank you. Thanks for having uh, me. Thank you for coming on. Um, so my first question for you is... How soon in life, like early life, how soon did you notice that you were different? And what were some of those differences? Like, what were the first things that you noticed about yourself? Um, sorry, I, I was quickly changing my view really quick. Uh, can you repeat that one more time? No problem. Uh, so early on in life, what was, um, when was the first time that you realized that you were different? And what were like some of those differences you noticed? Yeah, um, early on in life, uh, I was always a very, very, you know, what they would refer to then as hyper kid. I was always running around, uh, didn't walk anywhere, uh, yell. I mean, I was I was a very just playful, energetic person, and um, and sometimes it would get me in trouble in school. But but I was always like I, I was very fortunate that. Um, academically I did fine and so I kind of always kept under the behavioral radar mm -hmm. but there was like okay Rick you know you, we need to settle down uh uh just a quick uh side note uh Charlotte found this uh thing that I had written I think in kindergarten or I like you know I someone like wrote it for me and it was me telling a story about how at carpet time I got in trouble for like playing with my hands Oh, and wow. I was sent away and like oh, <laughs> cried in the corner and just, just stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just from an, from as early as I can remember, I was just always buzzing. I was buzzing mm -hmm. around. Um, and then I was also really would hyper-focus on certain things. Um, mm -hmm. like, like books, like goosebumps mm -hmm. books. I would like read one a day, walk around at school, reading books, um, there was this weird period in like third or fourth grade where there was this mound of dirt uh, on our property. I live out in the country, out in four acres in California. And I just decided like, I'm going to dig a hole in this mound of dirt. And I did that for like months straight. I, I you know, uh, so like I would get very hyper-focused on things and I had this just like, um, like insane reserves of energy, but um, one of the things that, uh, not to jump ahead, but, um, why I didn't really get diagnosed until later in life is because in that environment, it was fine. I was surrounded by, very fortunate to be surrounded by friends and family who like, they're like, Rick's just, that's just Rick and, and totally understood. And let me just go on my little, I, I was just known as like the weird, uh, the, mm -hmm. the weird kid in the family. And they say that with, I mean, today, mm -hmm. they say that endearingly. Yeah. Like, you're like, you're the weird one. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I think that's, I, I relate. I think that's how a lot of us 
end up um a lot of our neurodivergence just ends up um getting seen as as just you know oh yeah that's his or her thing or you yeah. know um Absolutely. yeah uh what was it like um at school like um when you started going to school and i, I remember you mentioned just now that you they you used to stim with your hands a lot yeah and so that was something that unfortunately wasn't very understood at your school yeah. it sounds like yeah um no i was very fidgety um i i do remember like i don't remember a lot from elementary school but i do remember the times that you know the teachers would kind of snap at me was mm-hmm. fidgeting was kind of just yeah just doing a lot um i was also hyper hyper sensitive i've always just been a very sensitive person i don't know if that's related to that at all but like i like daily i would cry at school mm. I, and 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 again which is insane that i was just everyone just kind of accepted that they're like rick's just he's got a lot of feelings and that's that's you know that's what he does which is not the case mm-hmm. for many young boys in school um yeah. but but yeah, I just, I just remember, um, like for some reason I got a pass, like I was energetic and like doing all these things and like, I, I, from what I remember annoying my teachers, but because I was so good academically and socially or like not good, but like didn't get into trouble. Would you say you I got a pass for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you say that um would you say that you masked or that you were conditioned over time to like start masking parts of your ADHD over time or is it something that maybe didn't come up so much for you? It's something that didn't come up uh early on. Mm-hmm. Um so one thing I, I I tell my friends a lot that's very unique about me is that I loved school. I loved mm-hmm elementary school I loved middle school and I loved high school and that's like supposed to be unheard of um you know usually people they they hate middle school and high school love college because that's finally when they're kind of freed I had kind of the opposite um I loved especially high school because I was I, I I grew up in a small town like I like I said I was lucky to be very socially accepted for these my whatever you call it, my, my personality. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I was playing in three bands at a time. I I was a drummer, which Mm. (laughs) is perfect. instrument for me. Um, you know, I was totally in my element, um, in high school. I, I, you know, was in jazz band, honor band, jazz choir, honor, you know, just, Mm -hmm. I was constantly doing things all the time. And, and I never thought it was, uh, ADHD. Yeah. I was just like, that's just who I, you know, mm-hmm. what I am. Yeah. Another thing I forgot to mention, though, is, which is, mm-hmm. um, very forgetful. Mm. I, I was that kid who, like, would lose every jacket I was sent to school with. Um, I remember I was going on a band trip to England, lost my, you know, this is before e-tickets, mm-hmm. lost my plane ticket. On the way to the airport, had mm. to go to the, you know, oh, yeah. I, I, was, I was just like a sieve 
for things. Mm-hmm. And again, I was very fortunate that my family kind of just knew that about me and friends and they supported me in that. But that kind of leads a little bit into what I was going to say about then when I got to college, all of a sudden I was on my own. And that's when I started to notice problems. Mm. Um, Now all of a sudden I had to be an adult Mm -hmm. and not that I wasn't, you know, being an adult, but my kind of scatteredness, my kind of, you know, it, I went to like a, a big state school. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the no, place No, that's here. cool. That, that's what we do a lot on this podcast. Yeah. Okay. Just want to make sure. Um, you know, I went to a big state school, like the kind of school that just says college on the front, you know, like the John mm-hmm. Laney joke. Um, so it was very like kind of your standard issue college experience. Uh-huh. And I, I, looking back on it, uh, didn't do well um, mm-hmm. in that environment. Not, I mean, again, academically. I mean, academics is what kind of saved me mm-hmm. because I just, I, I became a comparative literature major so that I can hyper, hyper focus on texts. But socially and, and just how I felt about myself um, really kind of started to deteriorate a little bit. Um, I became very anxious. I became very, um, hard on myself. Um, the, the little voice started to come in that says like, everyone else is doing this except for you, you know, like, like just your basic things that I couldn't keep track of, um, whether it's finances Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, all the little pieces of just mm-hmm. being an independent person yeah. Yeah, of um, started to feel more overwhelming to me. And, and then I couldn't turn off that part of my brain that was like, everyone else has got this except for you. Mm. Um, procrastination was another huge piece that came in. Um, I always procrastinated, uh, even in middle school and high school. But again, the stakes were so low there that it just kind of worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Then I get to college, I'd say every single one of the papers that I wrote in college, I wrote the morning of, of when they were due. Mm. I would hyper, hyper, Hyper and I've never written a paper from start to finish. I would like kind of, um, like beautiful mind style, uh, like, I'm sorry if that's, I, I probably shouldn't have said that, but, but like kind of in this very scattered way, like, okay, I'm going to put a sentence here. Okay. Now I'm going to go down to my ending, put a sentence here, agonize over each word. Um, I would get up at like two, three in the morning and just sit at my computer and just, you know, gut wrenching, just like agonizing over these three page papers. Um, but I didn't think that was a problem because I always got it done. Like I was like running across campus, putting it in the slot at like noon every time. Um, and so I just became accustomed to this way of functioning as like kind of tripping my way through things, you know, like I always pull it off, but I'm kind of stumbling my way through it. I see. 
Um, and so was that, you'd say that was the time, was that the time that you started to seek a diagnosis or was it, was it not until later? No, sorry. So, so, um, it, it wasn't until much, much later. I see. Um, I see. uh, it wasn't until I would say about, so I graduated in 2010 from college mm -hmm. and then I didn't get diagnosed until probably, gosh, um, I want to say 2017. 2016, uh, I see. I way see. later. Um, yeah. But you started noticing the struggles in college. Well, so I started noticing the struggles in college, but again, none of it attributed to, it was always in, in college and, and, and the years post-college. I never thought of it as, as ADHD. I always thought of it as, you're screwing up. Like you can't keep track of things on your own. You are, you know, you're faulty yeah. basically. I think that's, um, I can certainly relate to that. And I'm sure many of our, uh, many of the listeners can as well, because it's just so unfortunate that that's what happens to, to so many of us. Um, that have uh, either ADHD or autism or dyslexia or, or other neurodivergences um, is that we end up being really hard on ourselves. Society ends up being hard on us. And, you know, sometimes even when we have very accepting friends and family, but then because of the pressure from society, we end up also being really hard on ourselves because we think we're, we're because we don't have that, knowledge that oh this is actually because i have a, a developmental disability or a neurodivergence um yeah. and because we don't understand that we're, we're automatically uh we we get conditioned to think that we're broken neurotypicals yeah um absolutely yeah, yeah. so yeah and, and um mm -hmm. oh, sorry, no continue you, you know, I, I, I was gonna say I, i'm really curious to think about like if I were born five, ten years later, if if things had been different, and I'm not saying better, I'm just saying, like when I was a kid, it was just starting this idea of like, neuro. I mean, it wasn't neurodivergence at that time. It was like very much like ADD, mm -hmm. ADD. Do, do, who has ADD? Um, but that was kind of just getting started. I'm curious if I'd been born a little later. If I would have been diagnosed earlier, um, yeah, perhaps. Um, yeah, and and because because that was the big thing for me is is you know I I kind of did things backwards in a way mm. I I went through my kind of period of listlessness of depression of anxiety um, and figured out my systems and went to lots and lots and lots of therapy figured out my systems. And then, like, at the end of this whole journey, or not the end, but, like, you know, six, seven years into my, my journey with that, uh, my therapist just mentioned, have you ever thought about if you have ADHD? And give the screener and, like, yeah, you know, you see your primary, mm -hmm. but according to this, you do. And then I saw my primary. and So, it, it if, I just think about, like, if things would have been different if I had been diagnosed earlier. Mm -hmm. And although I think 
because I had such an ideal, in my mind, an ideal childhood and, and adolescence, it almost kind of set me up for, like, the problem is not, mm-hmm. the problem's not me, the problem is me. What am I trying to say here? The problem is, is my inability to handle, to, to, to basically, I, I was just like, adulthood is not for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I can't do it. Um, where if I had been diagnosed earlier and thought about like metacognitively, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, rather, rather than like, okay, I need to get my shit together so I can, um, I, I need, I need to get you it together. Say, you can swear. Okay. Right. Just want to make sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get it together. Um, uh, sorry, I'm kind of going all over the place, okay. but basically I, I, so now that. I have a diagnosis and I'm now on medication a few years into medication and, and finding my footing. Um, it's like a whole new ball game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah, I think I, I can cert. Well, I mean, there's just a lot about what you're saying that I can relate to because like particularly what you were just talking about uh, late diagnosis grief. Um, cause I feel like it's something that a lot of us experience as well as just thinking to ourselves, like, what if I had been diagnosed sooner? How different would my life have been? Um, yeah. and it goes for me, like also, like, even though I was diagnosed perhaps a little sooner than you, I, I got, uh, for autism, I was diagnosed when I was 16. Um, and then for ADHD, not until very recently, not until this year, but Uh yeah, I started suspecting it, uh, like within the last couple years when I started, um, reading more about just neurodiversity in general and from the neurodiversity paradigm, um, which is very different than what I, the stuff I had read like medically before. Um, it's just a whole different way of seeing it like looking at it from the inside instead of the outside um and then i started reading about like i started figuring out like how common it was and even the numbers and there there's even been research there's been research done and stuff about the the correlation uh with autism and adhd adhd and how a lot of them can have both a lot of people can have both uh a lot of times they present at the same time um yeah and I was real, and then I started reading some numbers, like people saying like sixty-five to eighty percent of autistics can have ADHD as well. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, okay, well that's very interesting. And then I started wondering if I had ADHD, and then yeah. I started reading more about ADHD, and I started reading about how the ADHD um, was a lot about uh, regulating. Uh, executive functioning uh, and hyperactivity and um, you know like how you're always kind of bouncing back and forth and I think it also gets uh, I hear a lot of people say that it's perhaps it should have a different name because yeah. the way it's named now it makes it to, to people that don't know about it that aren't familiar it makes it sound like it's all about it, like it's an attention deficit, and it's not yeah. just a deficit. It's more a difference, or at least for me, it's more a difference in regulation. Whereas, yeah. like sometimes I'm paying attention, I can pay a lot of attention, 
and hyper focus on something if I'm really interested in it and depending on like my dopamine levels and the fluctuation throughout the day um, but then it's also like if I'm really not into something and that's where I would struggle in school as well um, I'm really not into this topic I can't and it's like I don't it feels like um, for neurotypicals a lot of times they're able to just power through and do it yeah. and for me and for probably for you I know that for a lot of ADHDers um, it's we don't have that like the dope when the, because of the the dopamine levels and the differences in our brain it's like if we're not even if we personally really know that we need to get this done or we want to get yeah. this done it's like the it's brain small, let's just do it yeah and the brain is like sometimes a lot of times the brain is just like no i'm, I'm yeah. not doing it um and yeah. it's kind of like you're you're having this internal argument with your brain sometimes um and uh so i wanted to ask you a little bit about uh particularly like back in those college years when you were starting to notice that you were struggling a lot um with like executive dysfunction um and then you mentioned a little bit that you had some struggles socially as well uh what was it like in general like making friends and stuff and and how was it um what were some of those struggles like yeah, so so, kind of on paper, like I, I really didn't, I mean, I did not, um, how do I say it? You know, I made friends in college. I, I've always been this very social, talkative person. Um, I, I played in bands, um, multiple bands, you know. So I, so kind of on paper, it, it, I, my college years are great. And, 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 and I still really do look fondly on, on my college years. When I look back on it, I, I, you know, the, the issue was not with my actions. You know, I was active. I was out there socially. Um, I look back on it and I was like, the problem was me. Mm -hmm. The problem was in my head, I was not able to be like normal. Mm -hmm. And so even as I was, it was this weird thing where, where even as I'm going to parties and making friends and, and doing all the things you kind of do in college, um, still there was this like, no, but something is not right with me. It's like, it's, it's just like, I don't know. Like I would have periods where like I'd, I'd be out social and, you know, do, drinking and, and, and meeting friends and, there are days where I'm just like, absolutely not. And then I'm just like kind of in this pit of whatever you want to call it. Um, then came, I mean, and, and the problems really didn't arise until after college. Um, so after college, I moved up to Portland, mm. moved from Eugene, Oregon mm. to Portland, Oregon, um, to play music. I moved up with my band, mm -hmm. um, which again, gave, I, I had this insane drive to just like, we're doing the music thing now. We toured, yeah. we, we, we did, would do band practice at like from like 11 PM to three in the morning. And then I'd have work at nine. I mean, it was just like this insane grind, but outside of the things that I can really grind on, that's where, um, it started to turn into this, uh, this just is not cut out for, I'm not cut out for this. Um, 
I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you would say that it it was like you would you would experience kind of this social burnout sometimes, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and which and and again, the thing that was so reason I really never thought about it was because on the other hand, I like hyper social. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the weird thing about it was that you know for someone who would get depressed and and, and anxious and uh, oh everyone's kind of judging me I'm, I'm screwing everything up um I, I i kept going out you know it's it's not mm-hmm. like i i'm extroverted yeah and inverted you know it, mm-hmm. it just kind of yeah i think passes. i can see that because i think it speaks to it, it also relates to like that um regulation thing you know the the constant um flip and flop of hyper focus on executive dysfunction um or yeah um so that's very interesting too how it um it affected you not just um like academically but you know socially as well and and how it could play into that um so I wanted to ask you also about, um, well, I think uh, the first thing, as I have a couple of things that came up. Um, so with ableism, would you say that you experienced, like looking back on it now, would you say that you experienced quite a bit of ableism throughout life or were you more, would you say not... That's a great question. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the stuff I'm, I'm trying to kind of suss through now um, with my kind of late diagnosis, kind of reflecting on, because again, I, uh, I've talked a lot in, in my therapy sessions about how, how like I had like the perfect childhood. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was privileged. I was well liked. I, you know, had access to all these things, I, you know. Um, so, I think it's hard to say. I do remember, you know, like I said, like kind of getting in trouble here and there, but, but I think, and and that point I did not experience it because again, I was in this like little bubble of support mm-hmm. and accommodations. I, I, my teachers, I think were very accommodating mm-hmm. to, to me. Um, God, I, in college, I asked for an extension on almost every single final paper and they would give it to me because they're like, he, you know, Mm -hmm. he's genuine. He's, he's turning in good work. And so there was now reflecting on it. There's that part of my brain. That's like, what was that kind of enabling? Mm. Was that kind of, and how do I say it? You can't, um, because hmm. this is kind of the question I'm trying to r- wrestle with. There's this idea of enabling and this idea of accommodating. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I think my friends and family, educators, everyone growing up were very accommodating. Yeah. And I think that because of that, I don't have memories of ableism. Yeah. Growing. Well, that's good. I mean, that's that's very good um you know when I, but then i have this part of my brain that's like oh but if they had like not done that for me mm-hmm. and enabled my behavior but that's you know that's 
I'm trying to figure out like to what degree that's um, just that negative self-talk going on, mm-hmm. you know. So like uh, if they had, um, you mean if they had just not, like if they had just told you to like, to try harder? Yeah, if, if, if like I had had professors that were like, you need to get it together. Mm-hmm. But I don't, but, but then, but then here I am as a teacher mm-hmm. where I'm like, no, I would never do that. Yeah. You know? Cause I think, so it, 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 yeah, yeah go ahead. it would have caused a lot of stress probably for you. It would have caused Absolutely. more stress and burnout. Um, and it's just too bad because, uh, like, I think also like in general, I think not always, but there were, a lot of times, um, there were times that I got accommodations, but I think it was more like later in life when yeah. I like with my family, they were always very accommodating and I always did appreciate that. But like early in life with schools, like it happened a little bit with me, but I know it happens a lot with other people as well where the school will do this kind of thing where they're like they'll they'll deny accommodations because they don't see um cuz like I masked really well so yeah. they didn't see like I didn't fit I wasn't like visibly disabled enough to them so they wouldn't want to accommodate me because then they would bring up this whole thing about it being unfair to the other kids and Absolutely, it's Absolutely yeah that very kind of old school Yeah Exactly, and it's Problem just is people need to get you know figure out how to fit into the mold, mm-hmm. and yeah, which and I know, I, yeah, it's still happening. So, so yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, and I say old school, but but you're absolutely right. It's still very much yeah. the dominant. Yeah, I mean, style. it's less now. It's true that it is of a more of an old school mentality. Um, yeah, but it's like sad to see how that old school mentality is still propagated in a lot of places but i i will say it seems like it is slowly starting to change um particularly in more progressive areas um not as a rule because i think there's still progressive places with schools that are not quite there yet but i think in general in general, in the more at least in the more progressive cities, I, I it seems like there's some change, and slowly we're having more uh, awareness and acceptance of, of neurodiversity. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you mention that because uh, as someone who works in a in a public school in Portland, Oregon, yeah, you know, very much a self-proclaimed like progressive city. Mm-hmm. Even in the public school system, there's just such a in in like this our little bubble bastion that is Portland, Oregon. There's still this huge range of of that old school thought, mm. yeah, and the the kind of newer th- and 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 you're right, it is it is changing, but it's just I mean, and that's a constant criticism of, of Portland, which I think is just is. Uh, you know, there's this often like, oh, gr- I'm so glad we figured this out and solved it. Like we did it, and it's no, it's 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 systemic. It is so yeah, it's deeply so systemic. I yeah. have yeah, because I have friends like, particularly like older family friends mm-hmm. that they just it gets me. I have to. It's hard 
because yeah, they don't get it. It's like they keep saying like, oh, well, it's not really that bad. It's just because people, it's like a misunderstanding. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not just a misunderstanding. It's so yeah. not. Like they talk about it. It gets me upset. I have to like calm myself down when like I have these conversations sometimes because like it, it seems like people who aren't neurodivergent don't seem to realize like they don't get it's like they don't get it they think it's like one school or one person or like oh well it's just it's that it's all about um just informing people or or educating them on neurodiversity and it's true that there are some people that will listen and learn and that you know perhaps you do change their perspective but I do at the same time I see that the pathology paradigm is still so dominant and it's so ingrained in so many people because they've been conditioned to believe it their whole life they've been conditioned to think of things that way but um also, unfortunately, a lot of these people, because they've been taught and conditioned this way for so long, they have like this internal blockage where they Absolutely. won't be, they're just not open to thinking of it a different way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it becomes like a hindrance to, and I think of teachers, mm -hmm. the brain just says, this is a hindrance to my job. This is making my mm -hmm. job harder. And no, like mm -hmm. I, I'm drawing a line. And, yeah. you know, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to kind of see that play out in real time yeah. um, from the schools themselves and, and to see it play out. I mean, I'm saying all this and I'm, I'm a fifth year teacher now I'm going to start mm -hmm. my sixth year and I'm not perfect. I mean, mm -hmm. I, here I am with 30 students, fifth graders. And I, I look back on things that I've done in my career where you know, okay, I've given some accommodations, but there have been times where I'm like, look, you need to read this book on this because that's what we're doing. Mm. You know. So so there's still growth for me to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, like alternative assessments, for example. There's all this talk in the in the education world on like multiple intelligences and, and alternative assessments. In theory, I fully support that. In practice, I have not yet had the capacity to formulate those alternative assessments or wrap my head around how to, how to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to be on this journey where I'm like, I recognize all the accommodations I was given as at a young age, um, seeing this movement slowly, things are trickling in where, where they're like, Hey, here's, for example, differentiation. They're like, here's your differentiated materials. I'm like, that's great. So I can work with that now. But um, but in the grind of, you know, and we can, I mean, I won't even get into the whole education thing, but in the grind that is like, you need to do everything all the time, always, what am I still doing that's up, still upholding the, that mm -hmm. pedagogy? Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah. I am, like I'm also a part of that system, and I'm trying to change, yeah. gradually change. But it's, I mean, in the day to day, it's hard because of the, the like. Yeah, you. I feel the same thing with my advocacy work. Like I, 
you know, doing, I'm doing this podcast and, like, writing these essays and, like, getting this information out there. And I, I'm happy that it has impacted a lot of people and, you know, not just neurodivergent people being able to relate and feel seen, but, you know, it has helped a lot of neurotypicals have a better understanding of neurodiversity as well. But I know that at the same time that I'm educating people on the neurodiversity paradigm, I know that there's people that there are people that are being taught the old pathology paradigm. Absolutely. And it's yeah. all about like I think it goes for me and, and all the other neurodiversity advocates as well. It's like I think a lot of us get it's hard to like to do this work because like as you're doing it, you're you know that at the same time that you're trying your absolute best and hardest to to educate people on this new way of seeing things, you you know in the back of your head that the old way is still is still Absolutely. there, still being taught too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and, and I think about like the idea of just like planting seeds. Yeah. Exactly. You know that a lot of those seeds aren't going to make it, but like mm -hmm. the more seeds you plant, the more some of them are going to take off. Yeah. You know, and it's like. Yeah, someone's gonna hit that, hit you with that weed killer, and just like, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but like you got you got to keep planting the seeds. Absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. And that's how that's yeah. It, it, it helps me a lot as well. Um, thinking of it like that, like I'm planting a seed, you know, like, and I I think of that also with like people that maybe their like their ideology is maybe so different that they won't like they might even read something that I write or they might even listen to something that I say but like maybe even if I know that like okay they they probably won't um fully absorb or fully understand this at least right away I know that I'm at least planting some sort of seed in their head that they're gonna think about it a little more and then maybe some things will kind of slowly begin to change. They'll be yeah. like, oh, well, I guess I could think of it that way. Or, you know, and even if it's not significant, like, like, I think, like you said, like, the more people, the more seeds you plant, like, I think it's more of them, even if it's still not a super high percentage, like, more and more people as a consequence of the overall number of people that you're talking to more and more people are going to listen and Absolutely, um yeah, yeah. so it's i kind wanted of that like like it affects more people than you think and then as diagnoses become more um widespread yeah. and, and the the kind of like you're saying that the, the like whole spectrum of it because mm -hmm. again i I never thought of myself as neurodivergent until like, I don't know, like two years ago. Because mm -hmm. even when I was diagnosed, it's interesting, even when I was diagnosed, I have not been public about the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, yeah. Because I, for me, I was just like, you know what? I, it, mm -hmm. Whatever, like, I'm like the outcome, not the like, mm -hmm. I'm not the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I am whatever support I need to help build systems and figure, figure out what to, what to go forward. Mm -hmm. But there's also this, this part of my brain that says, 
that hears all of the the public criticism of this yeah. movement, and and it's it's just it's hard to parse through like what is me just saying like no it's just my own like thing. If someone asks me, I'm not going to lie and hide it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, I wonder how much of it is me wanting to keep my head down and not mention that I'm neurodivergent. Yeah, I think I, I certainly relate because I feel that a lot. I still feel that, but I, I felt that especially right after I got my autism diagnosis at 16. And it actually took me, I want to say 10, maybe at least 10 years from then of um, when I started working with, you know, like way after that, like I started working with a therapist that was, a you know, I was already living in the Bay Area. And and, um, because when I got my diagnosis, I was living in Brazil. Uh, My mom's family is from Brazil. And um, I spent pretty much all my, I was going back and forth a lot. But like from basically during my teenage years when I was diagnosed I was living in Brazil and then it was like a few years later I moved to the US um, with my dad and then I actually had a therapist that I was working with when I first moved to the US but unfortunately she didn't really understand a lot about neurodiversity. Yeah, I, I heard your, your first episode and kind of talking, talking yeah. through that. So I'm sorry. That's... Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean it's all... I know that it, even though it was um, tough in that moment, like during those times, um, I I know that it led to where I am now and then figuring that out. And then it was just such a relief when I started working with my newer therapist, you know, the therapist I'm working with now that I started, I think in like 2017 or 18 and just how much she understands about neurodiversity and how much she was able to teach me as a neurodivergent person like that's what really made the difference is like she basically opened up the door to the neurodiversity paradigm she was like I had no idea I was like stuck in all this kind of pathology paradigm stuff that I was hearing about and I was like so confused and I was getting into that mentality of like blaming myself and like thinking that I had to fit these molds and that there was, you know, um, even knowing that I was autistic, like I had a very negative view uh, and I feel like people did and still have, a lot of people have very stigmatized stereotype views of it or what it's supposed to look like or what they assume that it is. And it's like, it felt like everything was very negative. So I didn't feel comfortable. um, You know, just like you said, I I didn't really feel comfortable until recently, until I started learning even more about neurodiversity. I didn't feel comfortable like telling people that I was autistic because I knew that they weren't going to really understand. And I, I even struggled like with some like internalized ableism, um, until I started working with this therapist and and learning more about neurodiversity because I had a hard time accepting the diagnosis because I had been fed very stereotypical stigmatized ideas of what autism is supposed to look like. Um, and, And then I realized, oh, it doesn't, like, it's different for everyone and, like, these, um, 
traits or like these things that we struggle with like um I guess for autism it was like sensory stuff and like social communication uh, differences um I have like some neuromotor functioning difficulties as well um I started real and then you know a lot of autistics are are non-speaking and I had some speech delays but I was not like um as significant as it can be for other people but I just started realizing that it's like oh like I actually had a lot of these things but like to different intensities and it's also dynamic it's also like you can be like with sensory stuff you can be experiencing uh you can have some days where you're just really sensory sensitive like for me I'll just have days that I'm like if I'm I'm having lunch with my dad and you know he's just like chewing his food and it and he's not doing like there's nothing bad but it's just like the sound of him chewing like for some reason it's just like it'll throw it'll make me like it'll give me kind of sensory overload but then there are other days where I'm fine and I can go to a basketball game and there's people screaming all over the place and and I'm fine so I think it, it it has a lot to do with like energy and like how you're feeling that particular day, perhaps how much sleep you got or such. But I think it's also about like, it's also a little bit of an ADHD thing of like, okay, stuff that really interests me like basketball, I'm going to be really excited about and I can go and there can be a bunch of noise and I'm fine. Um, But if it's like something that I'm not into or if I'm just having a rough day, if I'm just tired, it's like any little thing like, you know, the like the table next to me in a restaurant or whatever it is can can like overstimulate me. Um, yeah. And um, also I was just thinking about like how like you were talking a little bit about how there's a lot of criticism and I think misunderstanding um of the neurodiversity movement still and one thing that drives me really crazy is all these people um you know the people that are criticizing the movement or whatnot or that in my opinion don't understand it um like sort of um playing this off as a hype trend like thinking that they say that like neurodiversity advocates are are, it's like to be trendy or whatever or for like clout i even did like a a tiktok video recently um to disprove those um to disprove all of that um because i i because i don't think people understand it's like I don't know what this kind of clout they think that we're getting, what that is, really. Um, yeah. I don't know, because it's like, I don't, like, <laughs> I don't care about, like, numbers or likes or comments or anything like that. Like, the reason why I'm there talking about this stuff and the reason other neurodiversity advocates are there talking about this this stuff is is for awareness is so people will listen and i think there's so many people that are just so quick to to judge it as a hype trend or whatever um because they don't understand uh medical ableism and medical gaslighting and and 
Um, aside from that, just the fact that diagnosis is particularly in the U.S. is so expensive um, for for a lot of people that they're not able to get it um, and that they have to self-diagnose and then they have to like just talk about it on social media because they're not even and then it's also how the system isn't built for like you know also a lot of people aren't getting proper accommodations in school and stuff and then they're not able to climb the ladder so then that's why they can't get like um and of course we both of us know this but it's like so many people don't know like that oh that's why they can't get like an md degree and then like write this fancy paper and then on a research paper or whatever that's why they're on tiktok that's why they're on instagram because it's like okay this is where we can go this is where people will listen so this is where we're gonna go and talk about yeah like we aren't we don't have access to like peer-reviewed like journals exactly because of all these Mm. systemic things Mm mm-hmm you know, list yeah. goes on and on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and sorry, there's just like so many things. I want no, to, of course, know. please. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, in particular, that question of, like you were saying, intensity mm-hmm. <clears throat> and thinking about my kind of, um, oh God, I can't think of the word. Like my not really, uh, until recently, um, calling myself neurodivergent because there's that piece of like, privilege Mm -hmm. so so like like you were saying um the intensity of my well first of all there's the there's this very like stereotyped notion of it right like when i tell people the few people i have told that i'm you know diagnosed for adhd they're like what you know because they have they don't understand yeah i'm way mellowed out Mm -hmm. i mean thank you medication Mm -hmm. but even before that way mellowed out um, I'm social. I, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things that, that, that don't fit the typical view of it because they're like, you're not like when I was a kid, maybe yeah. I was. Cause it's, know. it's all about the stigma. It's like all about what they've seen in like movies and TV and what's been, um, propagated. Um, yeah. and then cause I have, it's so interesting. Like you say that because I have other friends with ADHD and it's like the same thing. Like I talk to them and they're like, yeah, like, if I tell people I have ADHD, they don't, they're, like, very surprised or confused. Because yeah. they, yeah. they think that it's supposed to be one way. Um, particularly, I have one friend who I studied uh, with, um, my, the acting school that I went with, that I went to, and I'm still in touch with her. Um, and she was telling me, so her ADHD is more inattentive. Um, and... She doesn't like, so she doesn't have a lot of the hyperactivity even. And so a lot of people have this stigma in their head that ADHD equals hyperactivity. So then like people will be confused when she tells them that she has ADHD because they expect her to be like super hyperactive. Um, Which then also that, that like idea of like, oh, people are doing this to get attention, to get, you know, all, all, all of these, these misgivings mm -hmm. on um, you know, and, and I think of, you know, so, so like I was saying, there's the, they're like the stereotype, the, the vision of, of ADHD, what ADHD is. And then there's that piece where I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I mean, cause this is still like what I'm trying to figure out currently, you know, do I have the right to say that I'm neurodivergent? 
that was a big question mm. for me early on because, um, I mean, here I am, like, white, heterosexual, able-bodied, male, all, uh, or, or sorry, um, um, cisgender, you know, all the yeah. things. And then I have this diagnosis in which, in my mind, I'm very <clears throat> low affected. Now, my mm-hmm. therapist has kind of talked about, like, mm-hmm. oh, all those times in college agonizing over mm-hmm. finishing papers or, like, you know, totally mm-hmm. berating yourself because you couldn't, you know, do yeah. something. That was, that was it, you know. But, but I, I, there's that voice that says, like, no, you, you don't get to call yourself this thing and tell other people that because maybe you're doing it for attention, which it's like, it's like even in my own head, there's that that yeah. idea so i can relate to that because i think it is like also something that a lot of us end up thinking because we're told that the only way to be adhd or the only way to be autistic is if you are this kind or like if you have high support needs that are like that are visible that are like more more visible to neurotypicals and and that you're not like struggling just inside and it, it, it there is also um high masking privilege of course because um it is i do recognize that like it's it's still a privilege to even though masking does cause extreme exhaustion and burnout um and it's not it is something that we shouldn't have to do and the fact that we feel forced to mask does come from ableism i i also realize that there is a privileged part of it of being able to mask because those that aren't able to mask are of course more affected by the direct direct kind of ableism Um, yeah like having that option in the first place yeah as complicated and, and and painful as it can be, it, we still have that option. And yeah. So that is a piece that I, you know, yeah. wrestled with as well. Um, yeah, I think, I think it, and I, I understand that it's like a lot of, it, it makes sense that a lot of high maskers w- like ourselves would feel that way because we're also like, well, then if I'm able to mask, is it like, is it the same or, or like, can I still use the same, can I still use this name for it? Um, but then it, it became easier for me, like once, and hopefully it's become easier for you as well. Like once we understand the concept of like, oh, I can be ADHD and high masking. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not like I don't struggle. Like I, I can acknowledge that I still struggle and that, but it's just because I because I have the privilege of having that extra layer of like being able to kind of hide that I'm that I struggle, like that's the difference, but it's still like I can still I can still accept the fact that I do struggle even even behind the mask. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's I think turning down that voice that for me at least learning how to turn down that voice that says like people are going to think you're doing this for attention or, mm-hmm. or maybe I am looking for attention. 
turning that down has allowed me to just just say things openly and and yeah. realizing that it doesn't have to be this big giant thing like i remember the first time mentioning to my bandmates at band practice like oh yeah sorry guys i'm on this new medication i'm i might be a little bit loopy um and you know i was able to say that mm-hmm. and it wasn't like you you hear the voices of everyone being like oh you're just trying to get attention you're just it's part of a fad and and just being able to say that and they were like oh all right you know yeah. n- n- now like i would talk about you know if if i had another kind of medical condition i would talk about hey i'm sorry i'm going to this treatment mm-hmm. um same thing with just therapy and, i mean that's a whole other thing but like just being able to say like oh yeah so i got a therapy appointment but then i'm free later mm-hmm. you yeah. know at first terrifying exactly. oh I, you know he's just saying that because he's trying to mm-hmm. get but no i the i can just talk about it openly and the more of that um yeah. i think i think people are getting more and more exposed to people just mentioning like i you know i have therapy i have this thing i have you know um i'm taking a uh an emotional support or not an emotional support i'm taking a mental health day mm-hmm. like Yeah. more and more coworkers is like I'm just taking a mental health day yeah. and I think that's know. really important and that's yeah that's really good and and just normalizing mm-hmm. that instead of turning this I think part of this idea of like getting attention is is because it seems so abrupt when it's said out loud but the more it's kind of just being normalized is like yeah, yeah this is a mm-hmm. part of the human condition and yeah I you think know? yeah I think when people see us like it, it also has an impact when people see us talking about it openly and calmly and mm-hmm. and like normalizing it instead of like feeling ashamed about it that just that alone I think helps shift their perspective as well Absolutely um, absolutely and and I came up with that uh to that recently um with my students you know i've always kind of mm-hmm. questioned like as i've gotten my diagnosis and been on medication like you know i'm not going to just first day of school mm-hmm. hey everyone you know here's here's it but but as it's kind of come up i've become more and more open with my students mentioning yeah. it um you know i i there's certain lines you you can't you know mm-hmm. there's certain there's certain things you can't divulge mm-hmm. but um But no, just just this year is my first time really telling a, a few students that it, it came up. I said, "Oh, well, actually, I have a ADHD." Yeah. Uh, you know, because one of my students who was like, "Oh, I'm on medication," and mm-hmm. I was like, "You know what? Actually, I am too. I I got diagnosed for ADHD." Yeah. And, wow. And I've since learned systems and yeah. And they're just like wide-eyed, just, like yeah. Well, you're my teacher, you know. I like, know. Yeah. I just think and, yeah. I sorry to interrupt too. I just um, no, no, no. it's it's because I was like thinking like wow that would have been so awesome if I had like when I was in school like if I came up to my teacher and it was like oh I'm struggling with this I'm struggling with that and then my teacher were like oh yeah I have that too I was like wow like because I'm just imagining like as the student coming up to you and then you telling them. Like yeah, like it's just that's huge because then that's yeah. really, in terms of like destigmatizing and and normalizing it, that's that's definitely huge. And um, I was actually um, 
like one of the next questions I wanted to ask you was was exactly more about um, like what led you to become a teacher, but also what has it been like working with with kids and like neurotypical kids and if you've had any chance to work with neurodivergent kids and what all of that has been like yeah yeah absolutely um i so when i left college i was like i want to go into literary theory i like like mm-hmm. i want to just live in that world um but i've always been very social and like like social justice was like mm-hmm. the, the thing I wanted to focus on in, in the literature world. Um, and then I got out of college and realized like, that's such a, you know, more power to the, I mean, I loved my lit professors, but like that is a very ivory tower writing books that mm-hmm. for literary theorists, you know, that's just not what I wanted to do. I, I realized as I was kind of just working odd jobs and doing the touring, I was like, that's not for me. Academia is just mm-hmm. not for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I didn't get into teaching until very late. I was working kind of service industry jobs. Nothing wrong with service industry, mm-hmm. but I was working minimum wage jobs mm-hmm. to the point where, like, anytime they tried to promote, you know, not that they were throwing promotions, but I just mm-hmm. mean, like, to management positions, I'm like, nope, I that's not, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I just very like you can't handle professional job mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of it was I was touring and I had to like quit jobs and you know what have you. Um, so I um, I started teaching percussion lessons in my friend's uh, preschool class, mm. and and she's like, "You're really good with kids. You should consider like doing this more often." But you know, same thing. I was like in this, like, I can't be a teacher. Like, I'm just, I'm not ready for that kind of work, you know? And, and um, that was at the same time that I started in therapy and really started to break down this, I, you know, this, this like, um, basically the, the, the big thing that I learned uh, or one of the big things that I developed in therapy was like, all those times that I thought you should be able to handle this on your own. You should be able to keep track of this. Mm. I would, I would call them like my balloons. I'm like carrying around these balloons of like, call mom, do this, make this appointment. And, and then it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I would screw up. You know, I'd be like, Oh God, I haven't called mom and like mom and dad in like Mm. three months feeling horrible about that. Now it's this way bigger thing this like two minute phone call it's going to take to make this appointment I'm agonizing over that is going to become this heavier and heavier. Um, and then in therapy, I find like I I'm learning and, and, and have learned to just turn that voice down and make a list and lists yeah. were like revolutionary for me. Mm-hmm. Cause again, all the times I was like, no, I should be able to handle this on my own. I'm like, no, my brain likes yes. crossing off the list mm-hmm. and, and it gives me this huge uh, boost. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's I'm getting a little off topic, but eventually getting to education. Then I decide finally, I want to go to grad school, but I'm mm-hmm. terrified because I don't think I can pull this off. Um, I'm too scattered. Mm-hmm. And then went to grad school, did it. 
um, teaching, I don't think I can do this, but why not? Because it feels like a good fit for me. The first years were, were excruciating. I mean, there's like your normal first year teaching woes and like, I mean, it is a job that's mm-hmm. like build a plane as it's in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had these kind of normal, like first years, really hard things. But then I would talk to other teacher friends about like, oh God, yeah, I remember my first year of teaching, like closing the blinds, covering the window and the door and like kind of like hyperventilating in the corner, listening mm-hmm. to headspace mm-hmm. before kids showed up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they didn't really yeah. <laughs> like how often did that happen you know i was like oh mm-hmm. like every couple weeks and they're like you know so at first teaching was horrible mm. because it was everything all at once and i couldn't prioritize yeah. and i couldn't keep track of things i'm sure it was probably really overstimulating like Super having overstimulating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and and it is a job that's just like everything is a time suck and so I just, I couldn't, on the one hand, I loved that about it because I had all this energy. Um, and now that I've gotten more stable, both in my teaching mm-hmm. and kind of like self-regulation, I, I, I love it still. Nice. Yeah. At the time, I was just like, oh my God, everything, all the time, always. Yeah. And, and then I, I could not keep track of everything. And it was really really hard would you Um, say would you say that you eventually developed uh coping strategies or just ways that you could like um get through the day better absolutely absolutely and and one i mean a a constant uh phrase that i say all the time in therapy is like i don't know if it's if it's just years under my belt you know, because mm-hmm. again, that's a very normal thing. Oh, yeah. Your first couple of years of teaching are, are are just a blur, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you get your footing. Mm-hmm. So I, I constantly say, like, I don't know if it's if it's that, I don't know if it's the medication, I don't know if it's the systems that I built, um, or more than likely it's a mixture of all the things. But I always say, whatever it is, it's working now. Yeah. And. What are some of those systems that you build? Um, uh, Great question. Yeah. yeah. So um, compartmentalizing. So really learning. To, I mean, the emotional load mm-hmm. of um, was really hard at first. You know, um, lists mm-hmm. like um, meticulous, like planning docs. Like I have, you know, um, I when I do my planning, it's just like, gosh, what am I trying to say? I have a better feel now for how long certain things take and times I'm going to grind and times I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, you know, at the first it was like, I would get there at 6 AM. I would leave at 5 PM, 6 PM grinding all the time, taking work home at 6 PM. You know, mm. now, um, it helps that I have a child at home because I have to do this now. I, I grind, I grind, I grind, I scramble four o'clock. I'm out. And, and that has helped a lot. Um, but I have learned to recognize when I am grinding, allowing myself to do it. So what that means is, um, 
I, I sometimes refer to, again, I, I, I haven't been too public with this because I don't want to um, minimize anyone else's, you know, people mm-hmm. who are neurodivergent. Yeah. Um, but for me, I have started to refer to it as uh, harnessing my superpower. Mm-hmm. So um, here's an example. Like when you're teaching fifth grade, you have students that are at first grade level and you have students that are at sixth grade level. Yeah. They're it's just all over the map. Mm-hmm. And how do you teach? You have to teach the fifth grade curriculum, but what do you do with these students that are still can't add with, with regrouping? And so what I did was I developed my own system of like, okay, I'm going to tier these worksheets for all the four operations and I'm going to make folders and I'm going to label them and send them to the copy shop. And I just like hours, tens of hours I spent putting these things together, but I just allowed myself to do it because I'm like, okay, I have this block of time. You know what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn off that voice that's judging me. I'm all caught up on everything else. I want to grind this out because it makes me feel good. And now I have differentiated worksheets to pass out to my students. Wow, that's, and that's fantastic. Still, you know, and, and it's a continually mm-hmm. developing system. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell other coworkers about it. And I'll kind of, well, here are my folders and here's my, my Google sheet that has, you know, it changes color every time they go up a level. Yeah. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, now, mm-hmm. I still am terrified of calling parents and have mm-hmm. not developed, like, these systems. But... I, but I, I, I harness my superpower to yeah. do this thing and now it works for me. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I think that speaks a lot to like finding your own strategies and, and like what works best for you and then thriving with that. And I, I feel like that's what happens with a, a lot of us because we, we realize over time that we don't fit these molds that people want us to fit or we we can't do these things in these specific ways so then we find out oh well well, what way can I do it what way works for me and then once you figure that out and like you know for me too like with with my lists and my strategies that I've developed uh for my brain it's just once I get into that rhythm of like, oh, this works well for me, then it's it just feeling is, is very good for sure. And it, it's just, Absolutely. yeah. 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 And, and then you hit, wait, you know, it's all waves, but they, they just get, you know, yeah. lighter and lighter yeah. as you learn how to navigate them. Yeah. And, and what's interesting with that is, is um, it, it almost for me it was like dominoes. You know, I spent mm-hmm. so long. Like I said, that post-college period, just focusing on like this self-fulfilling prophecy of like I'm screwing things up, I'm forgetting things, I just can't get it together, you know. As soon, and then as I kind of reached this point in therapy where I was kind of letting, learning to let that go and just focus on like what systems work for me. Like if I need to put in a Google reminder, like call your mother, I'm going to do it because yeah. it – it worked, you know, yeah. and, and so at the time, as I'm mm-hmm. kind of gaining these skills, um, I got into my first long-term relationship with Charlotte 
Mm-hmm. And we moved in together, which is something, again, yeah. before that, I would never do. Because I'm like, I can't keep track and, and navigate and, and handle, you know, this. And, and I did. Grad school, same process. Mm-hmm. Um, school, same process. Uh, and now, parenthood. Yeah. Um, Charlotte and I, just to go on a quick tangent, mm-hmm. um, we, early on in our relationship, we talked about kids, and I said, I'm not 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for many different reasons, but, but one of the big ones for me was like, I don't think I'm competent enough to, mm. to pull it off. I don't think I can, I can do it. Mm. And I'm not ready for that. Um, and so before we got engaged, it was kind of contingent on like, that's kind of a deal breaker, mm-hmm. you know, nice. for, for Charlotte, you yeah. know, like, I love you, but, but that's kind of a, a, you know, and so we worked through it together, um, you know, Kind of working through, like, I'm not saying, I'm not yeah. signing on a dotted line, I'll get there. I'm Did just you, saying that I'll work on it and see how I feel. Sorry. Um, was it, it's just, um, this is great because it's actually the next thing I was going to ask you. I was oh, going to yeah. lead yeah. into your, about, you know, like relationships and fatherhood. So, yeah, what was it like when you first started dating Charlotte? Like, how soon did you tell her? that you were ADHD and like, how did that, um, how did that go? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, um, Charlotte and I had been dating for about a year and a half into, you know, we were a year Mm -hmm. and a half into our relationship before I even got the diagnosis. Mm, Um, but early on, uh, you know, even before Charlotte and I started dating, we, we worked together and she was, she modeled very, you know, uh, she was very open with her her um, work with therapy, um, mm-hmm. you know, mental health history yeah. in her family. And and so that was kind of just a part of our lexicon early mm-hmm. on um, and why it was really like my first relationship where I was like, I can be really open with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's it's, you know, and, and kind of that my first round of like, oh, we can just talk about this. Like, it doesn't have to be this big high stakes yeah. thing we can talk about how we have these 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 things we're working on yeah and then when um so i was already kind of developing these systems i mean she can tell you in grad school i mean i you know sent my same up to my same tricks you know like mm-hmm. agonizing over turning things in kind of like waking up sunday morning and just like just like can't get out of bed because i'm so overwhelmed by mm-hmm the coming week, all these things that she supported me in. Um, and time and time again, I kind of proved to myself that like, no, with the right systems and and support and meditation and therapy, uh, like I said, lists were like Mm -hmm. groundbreaking for me, Mm -hmm. putting things on a list, um, for anyone who hasn't done it, it's like, that was such a game changer for me. Um, and so leading up to fatherhood where I was like, I, I I finally got to a point where I told Charlotte that I don't, I don't think I'm a hundred percent ready, but I feel like I can get there. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling confident in, and when it comes to it, cause it, cause it's the same thing I experienced in the classroom. I would agonize over things 
And then as soon as things, kids show up, like, what else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You just, you do it. Yeah. And then kept experiencing that through on all the different facets. Uh, and now, um, you know, our, our kiddo Remy just turned one. And I told her, like, I'm all that worry about not being able to keep track of things. You just figure it out. And, yeah. and I'm not saying that anyone could just figure it out, but because of the work I've done to, to develop those systems, find what works for me, and then, and then communicate when I'm having trouble. You yeah. know, like, like Charlotte and I, one of the things that really helps with parenthood is when we're like, look, I am, I'm floundering here. Like I'm, um, you know, we talk about, uh, I mean, this came up during pandemic, but we listened to this pod, uh, the Brene Brown podcast episode about like, um, capacity, mm. like what capacity are you at? Cause right now I'm at 20. Okay. Well I'm, I'm 60. So put me in coach. Like we, we are open about, uh, how do I say it? Before, I was like, what if I don't know the perfect thing to do all the time? What if I'm not perfect? And mm. it's it really just you, – once you just lean into, I'm just going to go with my systems, and eventually it kind of works out. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of – I feel like I'm kind of going off. No, that makes oil. sense. Um, I can see how it was, like, also just the process of, like, you having – the anxieties and the worries and you know will will I be able to fit these molds or do things this way and then you know just becoming more comfortable with your systems and it sounds like you and Charlotte um had a really good uh relationship from from the beginning in terms of being open with you know struggles and such um so yeah, no, that's that's really great to hear how, like you guys were able to work on that together, and how how you became more confident as well. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and and hugely influential for me when I made the decision to start on medication. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate in that it was already kind of destigmatized for me because Charlotte was very upfront with like I've been on medication for like a decade, mm-hmm. over a decade now. And, you know, uh, so for me, when, when we started talking about medication, I was like, is it a right fit for me? But I was very fortunate in that it was not coupled with like, oh no, but what does that mean? And, and, you know, I was, uh, and so again, I'm not saying medications for everyone. I was very lucky in that, like the first, um, so I'm on, I started on well, Butrin, and that was just like, a really good fit for me. And then I started on uh, Lexapro and that just happened to be like a really good fit for me. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate. And again, I have access to those things mm-hmm. through health insurance, mm-hmm. but, um, but it just, it just kind of turned the noise down a little bit for me yeah. and kind of allowed me to just kind of like move forward. Yeah. And so so I think kind of going back to the, the question of like my misgiving or my kind of 
a little bit discomfort with saying I'm neurodivergent mm-hmm. is because I'm in the spot where I'm like, I kind of, I got a good system going. Um, it didn't really affect me when I was a kid. So maybe that it doesn't fit me at all. Mm. But I look back at the history. I look back at the, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the, how things change after the medication. Yeah. And, and again, realizing that there's a way to talk about these things that isn't that like, I don't know, like, again, it's that voice that says, you're just doing this for attention. Yeah. And it's like, where is that coming from? Exactly. Like, like no one's, no one in my life. I mean, and again, I'm lucky that people mm-hmm. in my life aren't actively saying this to my mm-hmm. face, but I think because of media, especially the internet now, it's so easy to see something online mm-hmm. and think, okay, people are going to say this. Yeah. Like literally I'm detached from that. Someone telling me that and it's in my head. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just been so nice to slowly work on turning that, that down. Yeah. Just be like, look, I'm going to be open about this because a, it's good for me and B it's good for people at large. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, build that schema and, and hear it and get yeah. exposed to people just saying like, look, I, my brain works differently yeah. and I have these systems that work for me. And if that, if that's a problem with you, then I'm not worried about it. Yeah. I think that's just really awesome. I think especially when you're able, when you were talking about how you're able to do this in the school setting as well, because it's so helpful, like having these conversations, like uh, with with the kids and everything, like not just for the neurodivergent kids, but I think people forget about like how much that can impact the neurotypical kids in terms of them learning about neurodivergence. Because I see so many schools out there where or just stories of schools where like the where they separate the the neurodivergent kids or, or the kids that are struggling or such. And I think it's doing a disservice, not just for, like, that's what does a disservice for everyone, because it's not just doing a disservice to the neurodivergent kids. Um, but it's also, like, the neurotypical kids aren't going to learn about neurodivergence, and then, and then no one's going to learn, and then we just have, you know, like, the same system. But, like... It's so awesome that you're you're able to be more open about it at your school and I've also read like some other stories like something I wanted to share because I it struck me like wow like um it still strikes me like I remember it cuz it's just so fascinating um about this teacher in Brazil like I read about this on social media because I also fo- follow a lot of um uh, neurodiversity accounts from Brazil and um, I read about this teacher that had a student with ADHD that was struggling in his class that um, there was like a quiz exam and she scored like a 28% or something so then the teacher uh, talked to her and like hey what's going on so and so and then she explained oh I have hyperactive ADHD it's um, really hard for me to focus when I'm not uh, stimming or when I'm not moving around or such. Um, and then what was so brilliant, like his his response, um, 
he he decided to have a conversation with the whole class about neurodiversity um and then as he was having that conversation as they were all having that conversation as a class um there were a few other people one apparently one other person that also had a diagnosis that came forward and a few other kids that identified with the same kind of experiences um and then so once that happened i think maybe there were like four or five kids that were like potentially all neurodivergent so he made space in between the last two rows so they could stim so they could walk around during class without missing instruction Yeah. and then that same person that had scored 28% on the quiz the first time they had another quiz and she scored 93%. Yeah. So I was like wow that and then that's like the teacher because I think this was a tweet from the teacher himself talking about it like if that's not inclusive education I don't know what is like like that's what we should be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think that I mean and this is just like a big argument against differentiation at large mm-hmm. you know there's like a big that's like the big buzzword in education is differentiation but and accommodations mm-hmm. but i mean accommodations has always been a part but differentiation is like big like mm-hmm. give people things at their level and then you know and and when when there's the the individuals that i've that i've interacted with and myself to a certain degree at certain times that gets very like look this is just making like i don't have the time i just need to do my job realizing that like you said mm-hmm. that's getting results well a it is your job right it is your job mm-hmm. to meet the needs of all students that's mm-hmm. like what you're supposed to do and b by just experimenting with these accommodations and seeing results you're making your job easier now mm-hmm. that's not what it's about it's about equality, you know, inclusivity mm-hmm. for the kids. Absolutely. Yeah. But for the for the ones who are against it, I'm like, but if you're sitting here and talking about how they're just like bombing these tests that you're giving them all the time mm-hmm. and that's like weighing down on you, then you're you're standing in your own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's not about the teachers and <laughs> like not being frustrated, but like literally it's in everyone's best interests. to meet needs. Yeah. Of, you know. Exactly. And and one thing that gives me a little bit of hope not to like end on like a rosy, you know. And again, recognizing that I'm saying this as someone who had this kind of very accommodated upbringing with all this and I have access to all the things now. Um, but you know, you you hear so much about the the the, the critiques the criticisms are so loud right they're so loud and out there it's so easy to focus on that you know like people are trying to tear this down and and make it go away and just call it a fad and call it attention seeking mm-hmm. right and 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 then that of course leads to actual things like legislature change and like just awfulness but the thing that gives me a little hope is that it's a lot harder to make schema go away. It's a lot harder like like for example the idea of of autism and and neurodiversity as a spectrum mm-hmm. was something I hadn't even heard about until mm-hmm. like I was 
in college. Yeah. And, and yes, there are still plenty of stereotypical views on it still prevalent, but you're not making that realize you're not making that schema go away. Mm-hmm. You can, you can deny it and you can like criticize it, but it's there. It's there. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's not going away. Yeah. Um, these accommodations that you're seeing pop up in schools. Yeah. Now it would, not everyone's doing it. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's not this like we fixed it thing, but the more awareness, the more that spreads, it's really hard to stop movements. Yeah. It's, it's really easy to just put sludge on the internet and put it out mm-hmm. there. But, but movements are, yeah, you know, fight it the best you can. But yeah. like once, it, once, inclusivity is experienced it's really hard to make it go away true yeah not i'm not saying it it can't happen but Mm -hmm. um the thing that gives me hope is that you know yeah and the more open people are and and, and just and again it's so easy to get stuck in like the media like Mm -hmm. the loudest voices but it's like on the ground i don't know no it's true i can relate to that a lot like um I think it also helps me like it makes me feel more confident uh when when I'm like okay I know that there's so many it's not even like just me like I'm putting all this content out but like there's so many other people that are doing the same thing that it's just gonna be too loud for them to for for people to ignore like they're always gonna be the naysayers and whatnot and the deniers and people that just want to dismiss it as a trend but it's we're becoming really loud i just i see like i was like a year ago when i started getting into the whole instagram neurodiversity world it's so crazy because like i had been on instagram for years and years and years i had been using instagram and using and you know but then I like I start just by starting and the way the algorithms work and stuff just by starting to follow a few neurodiversity accounts or like actually autistic or ADHD accounts I I you start getting suggestions you know more and more and more and more and more yeah. and all of a sudden like with my advocacy page I'm I'm following like over 200 different neurodiversity neurodivergent accounts and yeah, I'm like absolutely oh my god like that makes me feel good it's like oh my god okay we're we're loud we're we're bigger we're louder we're getting more and more loud and it's gonna be really hard for people to ignore it absolutely there's so many people who are just both consciously and subconsciously and just predisposition to like maintain that status quo Mm -hmm. i mean on on everything you know Mm -hmm. and the further you push that dial the, yeah. the harder it is to push back. And, yeah. and so, again, that is the thing that gives me a little bit of hope is that, you know, you, you just, you can't stop a movement. Yeah. I mean, sorry, you can. Mm-hmm. There's historically definitely examples it, of that. Yeah. But it's really, really hard. It's really hard. It's it's going to be hard for them to to stop us now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this, I, that's pretty much all I had to ask today but i think this was a fantastic episode i know you have to get going soon yeah Um, yeah sorry i got it no it's okay because i i touched on we touched on pretty much everything i wanted to and just really really great like thanks so much for sharing your story and everything we talked about because i think it's 
it's helped not just myself, but I know it's going to help a lot of the, uh, my listeners as well. So. Awesome. I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, and, and I was thinking as I was kind of preparing for this, I was kind of reflecting on like good, to, how good a timing this is for me as well. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I'm not like, this isn't like 20 years ago and I'm just like talking about my, you know, like right now I'm, I'm navigating. So I, I think this might've been a little more scattered than I was anticipating totally just because I was kind of processing, processing it in real time. But no, this, this was great. I, I, I loved getting to talk with you. Yeah, me me too. Yeah, it was great talking to you as well. Um, and maybe we could do this again sometime soon. I was going to say, yeah, let's let's definitely plan, plan on that. that awesome. Great. Awesome. awesome. Um, well, yeah, tell, tell Charlotte I said hi. And, yeah, will do. Yeah. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I hope it's, I'm sure it's been very helpful for a lot of you. Um, And yeah, thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next time.